Chapter Seventeen of A Soldier's Letters to Charming Nelly. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Asterix. A Soldier's Letters to Charming Nelly by J. B. Polly. Chapter Seventeen. Strenuous Times in Tennessee. Bean Station tennessee december the twenty first eighteen sixty three so much has occurred since my letter from cleveland that two problems confront me what to mention and what to leave untold skimming over the surface of events as i must to keep within the limits of paper supply and your patience i intentionally omit many things of interest and forget others crossing on pontoons to the north side of the tennessee river near loudon on the fourteenth day of november the texas brigade marched and countermarched advanced retreated and halted much as if a game of hide-and-seek were being played between it and the enemy from loudon to campbell's station the yankees offered a very determined opposition to longstreet's advance but after complimenting his little army with a few challenging shots from artillery at the last-named place, deemed it prudent to make haste to shelter themselves behind their breastworks at Knoxville. While the Texans had but occasional skirmish fighting to do, their experiences were far from agreeable. The weather had turned bitterly cold. Little or no clothing had been issued to them at Chattanooga, and all were thinly clad, and many almost, and some wholly, barefooted. You can easily conceive their joy, then, when at Lenoir's station, late one evening, they were marched into winter quarters just vacated by the enemy, and a rumour, which had every appearance of truth, fairly flew about that they were to spend the winter there. When I saw the neat, well-framed and plastered huts, each of a size to cosily accommodate two men, and was led to believe that within one of them I was to find shelter from wintry blasts, and comfort and rest for my poor, hunger-gaunted corpus, my heart filled with gratitude to my adversaries, and had they come unarmed and with peaceful intent, I would gladly have fallen upon their necks and wept. Lieutenant Park and I managed to preempt one of the most elegant of the cabins, and with almost undignified haste set about to make ourselves thoroughly at home. About nine o'clock in the evening we were sitting on benches before a pile of hickory logs that, blazing merrily in the fireplace, warmed our chilled bodies and brightened up the walls, and had just lighted our pipes and begun talking of home when the long roll sounded ah then there was hurrying to and fro and if not mounting in hot haste a prompt getting into line an end to quiet smoking and earnest talk of loved ones as hurriedly grasping sword gun blankets canteens and haversacks we rushed from a paradise into a frozen inferno from warmth into bitter stinging cold from cheering home-like firelight into that of glittering and unsympathizing stars little stomach as i have for fighting i have faced the enemy with far less of reluctance than i left that comfortable little hut and worse than all 
i never saw its interior again for resting upon our arms the balance of the night we took up the line of march next morning at daylight for campbell's station oh ever thus from childhood's hour i've seen my fondest hopes decay one may be ever so philosophical and yet especially if he be a confederate soldier there will come times when philosophy utterly fails to give strength to bear with becoming fortitude the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune this was just such a time to me i stood manfully in arms that livelong dreary night consoled by the thought that morning would carry me back to the little log cabin but when the order to march gave the lie to hope fortitude deserted me and i wished i were a baby so that i might cry with a show of decency nor have i recovered my good spirits altogether yet and if any one of those gallant warrior friends of yours whose featherbed patriotism has hitherto bound him irrevocably to the defence of texas against invasion by water who stands far inland and gazes fearlessly at the dangerous men of war in the distant offing who even mocks at danger and demonstrates his desperate and unquenchable valour by drinking several cups of burning hot coffee in the long intervals between the flash of the enemy's cannon and the passage of its shell over the intervening five or six miles of water and land if any of these i say nurses a fond desire for a more active life for closer quarters with the enemy just send him right here i will cheerfully and even gladly exchange with the gentleman he shall have my gun and all of its attachments my haversack and all its varied contents even the gay and fashionable garments that adorn my manly person indeed i should insist on his taking the clothing for it would furnish him with some incentives to prompt and vigorous action that report says are yet lacking in texas and i will trade sight unseen too for while i should admire to do the balance of my soldiering in a neighbourhood where there are fair ladies to sympathise with me in my hardships and privations any part of the texas coast is preferable to this part of tennessee since encountering the western men who fight under the star-spangled banner longstreet's corps has somewhat modified its estimate of what bragg might have done in the way of whipping them the yankees who fled before us at chickamauga had as little grit and staying power apparently as any we were in the habit of meeting in virginia but burnside had troops at knoxville who not only stood well but also shot well the hardest and most stubbornly contested skirmish fighting i ever witnessed took place there and our lines needed to be frequently reinforced on the twenty-third of november first one company and another of the fourth went forward and finally the turn of company f came to reach the line we had to pass around a point of rocks and up the side of a steep ridge in plain view of and under a galling fire from the enemy jim mayfield and jack sutherland more venturesome than others sat down behind trees twenty feet farther to the front and began exercising their skill as marksmen mayfield grew careless and exposing a foot 
and part of a leg received a ball which lodged between the bones of the latter just above the ankle what will you give me for my furlough boys he exclaimed when the shot struck him what will you give me for my furlough boys he asked again as he came limping hurriedly back using his gun as a crutch it was only a parlour wound he thought and thinking the same several of us would willingly have changed places with him i know i would but there was little time to envy him the enemy was pressing us hard and we had forgotten him and his parlour wound when an hour later a litter-bearer returned from the field hospital with the sad intelligence jim mayfield is dead boys he took lockjaw on the evening of november the twenty eighth company f was detailed for picket duty three inches of snow lay on the ground and an icy wind from whose severity we could find little protection chilled us to the marrow i went on duty about nine o'clock my post being at the edge of a high bluff overlooking knoxville and the valley opposite me and a half mile away i could see lights moving back and forth in the enemy's fort on college hill i was growing numb and sleepy with the intense cold when the flash and report of a rifle followed by a scattering and then a continuous roar of small arms awoke and informed me that an attempt was being made by the confederates to capture the fort out of the line of firing entirely i watched the battle from beginning to end with a strange mingling of delight and foreboding night attacks are seldom successful and the fort was not only well manned but protected by wire netting and chevaux de frise but if terrible while in progress it was awful when having been repulsed with great slaughter barksdale's brigade was forced to withdraw and leave hundreds of its wounded upon the field too close to the fort to be carried off by their friends after so desperate a night attack it was impossible to arrange a truce and while many of the hurt managed to crawl to help many more laid where they fell and froze to death all through the long night their voices could be heard calling for help both from the yankees and their friends and often screaming with agony as they essayed to move themselves within reach of it about daylight we learned that an advance would be made that day on our the east side of the river and immediately began to congratulate ourselves that being pickets company f would escape the fighting but it was a mistake for at sun-up we were relieved by georgians and not only ordered to the regiment but when the advance began placed on the skirmish line it was so cold that even after running uphill half a mile the men had to warm their fingers at the fires left by the yankees before they could reload their guns both the weather and the battle grew warmer as the sun climbed higher in the sky the federals had made only a slight resistance to the capture of their picket line but now showed such a bold front against further advance of the confederates that it was decided not to attempt it and until noon we kept our blood in circulation only by incessant sharpshooting old rube Krigler, the second lieutenant of company f never goes into a fight without a gun and a chosen supply of cuss words to fling at the yankees when he shoots there damn you see how you like that or take that you infernal son of a gun fell from his lips that day with an unction 
and regularity not at all complimentary to the intended victims of his wrath captain martin though of company k of the fourth neither draws a sword nor bears a gun in battle but rubs his hands together and smiles as merrily as if it were the greatest fun imaginable not even when he came near me that day and said his voice choking and the tears standing in his eyes they have killed brother henry joe did the movement of his hands cease or the smile disappear from his countenance that evening the texans learned as longstreet had two or three days before of the defeat of bragg at chattanooga and many were the anathemas hurled against that incompetent or at least singularly unfortunate officer by the self-constituted generals and statesmen in the ranks of course he ought to have held the ground against whatever odds for given ten days longer we would have forced burnside to surrender but facts were facts and none less stubborn appeared to longstreet than the rapid approach from the direction of chattanooga of two federal army corps and the advisability if he would avoid being caught between two fires of passing around knoxville and moving up toward bristol virginia through the fertile country lying between the holston and french broad rivers the adoption of this course was largely influenced no doubt by the considerations that it would ensure a permanent separation from bragg give longstreet a longer term of independent command and enable him to rejoin lee in virginia the last of these appealed so strongly to the texans that after getting beyond danger of pursuit on the fourth of december hundreds of them joined in the chorus oh carry me back to old virginia to old virginia's shore with a will and a volume of sound that made the echoes ring for miles around my melodious voice however went up with the mental reservation that i should be privileged to stop this side of the sea-coast salted shad possesses no allurement to me lest in recounting the battles sieges fortunes that i have passed lest in speaking of most disastrous chances of moving accidents by flood and field of hair-breadth scapes e the imminent deadly breach i have harrowed your gentle heart to the point of swearing twas strange twas passing strange twas pitiful twas wondrous pitiful and expending upon me more sympathy than i deserve permit me to remark that at this particular juncture in my career i am really in clover for if because of the curtailment of one leg of my pants because my toes protrude conspicuously from dilapidated and disreputable shoes and my cap is stained with dirt and grease my ensemble is scarcely stylish enough to give me a right to the feminine society so liberally and lavishly bestowed on the toms dicks and harrys who infest the texas coast my canteen is nevertheless bulging with the nicest strained honey my tobacco pouch and haversack with the very choicest smoking tobacco the sweetening being the munificent reward of a moonlight tramp last night over the mountains to clinch river the tobacco the product of a raid by brahan and myself day before yesterday on a kind-hearted old farmer my present state is in short 
the naturally inevitable result of physical satiety mental and moral plethora exemption from any duty writing to you and a philosophical mind End of chapter seventeen